For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike McGrady, and I just want to say happy Sabbath. And up here I have my boy, Ryan. He's going to join me in reading. And today what I'm going to do, read is Psalms 33 on page 515 of your Pew Bibles. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Okay. First John 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer. And you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. To those who keep his commands, live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. Fall away. They will put you out of, your, out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming, and when those who kill, kill, you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father, the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when the hour, their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you, none of you asks me, where, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate w- will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in him in me. About righteousness, because I am I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of the, this world now stands commended. I have not I have much more to say to you, more than. More than you can hear now, bear. But then, but when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will not speak only what he hears, and he will not tell you what what is yet to come. If his glory, if he will glorify me, because it is from me that will receive what he will make make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive me from me, what he will make known to you. Big passages of scripture, lots of material to digest in short periods of time. But that is why you own your own Bibles. That is why you have access to commentaries. That is why you have the capacity to study for yourselves. As Bunny said earlier, you're a literate congregation. And uh, I hope that that serves you well in the week to come. Just a couple of observations. I'm deeply concerned about truth. Now, my understanding of truth is very, very limited. And I'll, I'll share it to you. It's not difficult. Share it with you. It's not difficult to comprehend. For me, truth is a person. Truth, capital T, is Jesus Christ, who reveals to us the Father and sends to us the Spirit, as we just read. So there's this this wonderful truth that we know of in our connection with God through Jesus Christ that gives us all kinds of things to live life in the Spirit and live it successfully. So that's, that's truth. There's this big T truth that I kind of look to, something way beyond uh, mere metaphysics or physics, something way beyond us into another sphere. And then there's truth, which is always seen through a glass darkly, as Paul says. There's this truth that we try to get at in our understandings, in our uses of language, in our metaphysics, in our understanding of how we know what we know and learn what we learn. We try to pin our daily work and lives on fact, something that is true for us, and even maybe true for others as well, hopefully, because that's the only way we get at objectivity, right? If you think about it, objectivity is some form of universal subjectivity. That is to say, as I've used this illustration before, we agree that that bush is green because universally, as the light hits it and the color filters itself, our perception, the eyes that we've been given, the brains that we've been uh, given, identify that as green. Even if it's by another name in another language, that's the idea. Verdi in Italian, right? Who knows what else, but that's green. We have sort of an objective sense that that's the fact is the bush is green. That, that helps us understand a kind of truth that we all participate and depend on every day. And then there's a sort of truth that we journey in. That's kind of a, 
a more personal truth, a, a, a truth of how we see the world, how we interact with the world, what our basic understanding of those interactions are, and that's very complex. Multiple dimensions to that. Of course, uh, experiential uh, things have multiple dimensions. We have a psychological dimension. We have a physiological dimension. We have multiple social dimensions as we think about what that looks like and what that feels like. So there's a very complex sort of truth that's more subjective for each of us in terms of how we experience the world and what we think, and, and what sorts of facts we rely on to get there. And what really concerns me about the world in which I'm living right now is the erosion of what we would call fact. I mean, even in talking about it, I feel tentative about it. I feel like I have to qualify that something's a fact by virtue of the means by which that fact was established. It's limited to that, perhaps. It's maybe not a universal fact, It's maybe not a God-type fact. And in this attack on fact in our culture, we have an attack on truth of sorts. And what we find is that increasingly we're living in a truth determined by a matrix of our own manufacture or the matrix of someone else's manufacture that we simply fall into. It's a rabbit hole, as Travis describes it. I like that description. He and I were conversing about this this week, and he says, it's as if there's a hole people fall into in which everything that's generated from that particular hole is truth. And there's no way of discussing whether it really has any sort of connection to the world of confirmable fact. That's scary. What scares me about the rhetoric of our world is that more and more fact is being relegated, in my view, to the dimension of the personal. And so we can almost not say anymore, that's green. We can only say, well, that's green to me. Is it green to you? (laughs) We almost have no basis anymore, it feels like, in our culture for having a conversation because what should be a fact is disputed as a fact. We're filled with theories of conspiracy. And again, as Travis noted to me this week in conversation, it comes down to who you trust. Now, I'm going to step on toes. Nowhere is that more clear than in the political world. Nowhere. If you trust certain people, you know for a fact that Obama is Islamic, not born in the United States, and probably of alien origin. You snicker, and those of you who are snicker are probably deeply offending a few people in this room who deeply believe that. Deeply believe that. Because they've gone down the rabbit hole. Who they trust are the people who assert these things as the truth in spite of the facts. Okay. So this week is the election. You hadn't heard? Now you know. 
It's more than an election for a president. There are all kinds of ballot initiatives, even local stuff that affects you day to day. I will not even presume to know the issues clearly, to be able to give you the facts or the truth in the case of all of these. And I would never, with the separation of church and state we so firmly adhere to, attempt to tell you how you might vote. But I will tell you this. In a world in which fact is about who you believe, I want you to start to challenge yourself and make sure you haven't gone down the rabbit hole. If you have, you may not be able to hear me at all right now. And will, will all the rest of us maybe say some prayers this week? Be, something will happen there. But there are places you can go online and uh, there are fact places you can go to begin to establish for yourself whether something that's said or something that's promised by any of the candidates has any kind of validity that can be externally validated. Now remember, of course, in this world of spin that even fact-check organizations are funded. And we might want to know who they're funded by because that might shape how they grade the fact coming out. You see? It's, it's very likely that a... Uh, uh, you know, a conservative, ultra, a, a, a conservative Tea Party fact check site would give one candidate higher marks in something for truth than, say, another candidate, and vice versa. It's very possible that people on the very liberal end of the spectrum have their own sorts of spins to place on what is said as fact or not as well. You won't escape that. I won't escape that. But I want to encourage you to embrace the opportunity to be as fact-based and objective as you go to the polls, to know how these things affect you, who's funding them and what it means, and to embrace biblical priorities as you go forward. Because the truth of Scripture is that God cares about all of humanity and has sought to redeem it and bring all of humanity to himself. He regards neither the rich nor the poor, the high nor the low. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But having said that, the prophets do pay special attention to the widows, to the orphans, to the aliens among you. Having said that, the prophets do have a care for the poor and the depressed and the downtrodden. Having spoken the truth about the fact that we're all in the same boat as a humanity. There are priorities that God brings to you scripturally that you have an equal opportunity and obligation to pursue biblically as you think about where you want to go. I'm challenged by this politically in the church. And now here's where this sermon gets incredibly dangerous. In fact, I'm really tempted to stop any podcasting at this point. <laughs> Once you get the record out there, it never goes away. But there are a number of issues that continue to come to the forefront in our denomination and in our church. And from my perspective, these are largely political. These are largely political. One of the latest is a real tirade against what's called spiritual formation. How many of you caught wind of this yet? Oh boy, is there a lot of negative stuff said about this. 
In fact, I'll share with you some here. I'm not going to read it. But there's so much going on here that I actually got a special issue of Ministry Magazine, which had a passion to tell me as a pastor what biblical spirituality was so that I wouldn't be confused between, say, Zen Buddhism and Scripture. I got a lovely book from Howard Peth, which I don't think a lot of, called The Dangers of Contemplative Prayer. When we read how David meditates on the law of God day and night, and when we read in Ellen White how we're to focus or meditate on the cross of Christ and the sacrifice made for us, we would do well to do so up to an hour a day. When we read quotes like this, it's difficult to reconcile what the issue might be here. One of the big issues, of course, is that they're concerned that when we seek Buddhist meditation, that is to empty our minds, that it's like the parable Jesus spoke of with the woman who cleaned the house. She drove out one demon, and in cleaning it, seven came in. But that presupposes, of course, that the invitation is to the evil one and not to the God who loves us and redeems us. You see, the scripture says, be still and know that I am God, does it not? So it is up to me to quiet my life and my mind that I might be open to receiving what God has for me. You see, we learn from Elijah that God does not speak in the earthquake, in the fire, in all of that that goes on, right? Do you remember those passages? How does he speak? Okay, that's the fourth cell phone that's gone off, and we do have an announcement in the bulletin, so if you could silence your phones, that will save us all some distraction. Thank you very much. What we have is be still and know that I am God, and he speaks in a still small voice, as you just said. That still small voice cannot be heard when our lives are noisy, when you're driving at 100 miles an hour, when you are going from appointment to appointment, when you are pausing out of habit and obligation to say that 30-second prayer of, Lord, make this food somehow digestible as I plow through it on my lunch meal. Amen. It's difficult to hear the still small voice while we're watching our favorite shows on television. It's difficult. And yet we must. And that means slowing down your lives. And that means being still and quiet. And taking your thoughts and banishing them. And inviting God to be a part of that time and coming in and and giving you something of himself, which he delights in doing. This doesn't mean that the devil is going to enter your life. This doesn't mean that you've issued an invitation for evil to take over. It means that you're engaged in the spiritual disciplines, which are time-honored ways of accessing God. Fasting, praying, silence, chosen periods of celibacy. These are classic spiritual disciplines that enable people to focus their lives and receive. This isn't the devil. This isn't a conspiracy. This isn't truth coming from a group of people who are concerned about your eternal well-being. This is something else. This is spin. This is politic. 
So use your brains. You have beautiful brains. This is a very intelligent congregation, and I'm not patronizing you when I say that. I know. You've given me excellent feedback over the years. I've watched you lead. I've watched you think through problems and different situations. You're capable. Use that capability for the glory of God in accessing truth. Truth. At a university that just about got shut down because one student complained that he had a teacher who was making him learn the scientific method and evolution. What is that about? Would you not want somebody who is university educated to know the theory of evolution? Would you not want them to know that? Would you want them to enter the sciences and to be able to say that they're a science and not know that theory? That's not education. Of course our students need to know this theory. Of course they need to understand its applicability to the sciences and processes they engage. We lose our kids at the university level because we insist on protecting them from so many things instead of engaging them. Instead of helping them understand the limits and parameters of a particular science or particular theory. Physics isn't out to disprove God. It's out to do its own thing. These things are not necessarily at odds. They're not necessarily hand in hand either. But we need to engage them in a spirit of truth. Because what have we got? What was it? it? You said, well, now, Pastor, wait a minute. I'm going to say, no, wait a minute. What was it I started with? What did I say big T truth was? Jesus. If you have a relationship grounded in Christ who connects you to the Father and the Spirit, if you are grounded in a relationship with Christ... If that is your truth, and we understand it universally, subjectively, to be also objectively truth, and we have it recorded for us in scriptures, which are the experiential truth of people who wrote these things for us and witnessed these things for us. When we as a body come together and affirm that truth, there's nothing that supersedes that. That's the big T truth. What we're talking about doctrinally or in terms of creation versus evolution or the age of the earth or any of these issues, whatever we're talking about there needs to be engaged with our hearts and our minds in an open way, a dialogical way, understanding where we come from as a people and what's important to us, but not becoming a people who've climbed down our own kind of religious rabbit hole. You see, it's possible that at some point in the future, being a Christian will mean something very limited and, at least in my view, very unpalatable. Being a Christian will be tantamount to being irrational. Being a Christian will mean rejecting everything scientific. Being a Christian will mean being narrow-minded and bigoted. It will mean hating homosexuals. And it will mean being very narrow in your political perspective defined by a few issues such as, say, Roe versus Wade or abortion, that kind of thing. That, that has a, an appeal to a few people, but I've got to tell you, I don't think it characterizes where the Adventist church needs to go. And if I'm not in this pulpit next week, you'll know why. 
wish me well. Be generous if you would. I probably won't get a severance package from this particular. I may not even be uh, allowed to take my retirement after uh, some of these things. What I'm trying to say is God loves the church and gave himself for it, but it's not immune from politics of its own. These things cycle through and they can be very destructive. And our job is to continue to be connected with the big T truth. Our job is to focus on the Christ who invited us to know him and to sup with him and to be his children and to be his friends. This is our job. Our job is to be connected with the truth and to explore other truths seeking fact and objective truth where we can in a world that is beginning to deny that there's such a thing. Scary to me. Hope it's scary to you. Just just wondering, is it scary to anyone or am I talking to the wrong audience today? Okay, good. A few of you. It's scary to a few of you out there too. I just want you to know that wherever the pressure is applied, you have the scriptures, you have reason, you have community, you have a way to work through what it is that God has for you to hear. And today what he has for us to hear is profound as well. The passage we read today in John 16, which continues our series on truth, speaks of the Holy Spirit. Jesus refers to it multiple times as the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, sent of the Son. He will testify about Jesus, me. And you must also testify because you've been with me from the beginning. Two witnesses. You're a witness to what Christ has done in your life, and the Spirit is a witness to Christ who has sent him of the Father. All this I've told you so that you won't fall away. All the things that have gone before, and if you've missed previous weeks, they are available online. I've been preaching John 13, 14, and 15 in previous weeks. I'll put you out of the synagogue. Now we speak of a time of trouble, something apocalyptic, which is another issue in our midst, but I won't go there right now. The hour is coming when those who kill you will think they're offering a service to God. You know why? Because they've connected with rabbit hole truth, not the big T truth. They'll do such things because they haven't known who? The Father or the Son. And what is the Son? A perfect reflection of the Father. Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. He says, I told you this so that when the hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about this, about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I was teaching you. I was, I was going to be with you. But now I'm going to the one who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because earlier, didn't we read that they were saying, where are you going and why can't I go with you? Peter was, was asking that. This is none of you have asked where I am going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly I say to you, it's for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people don't believe in me. 
about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because of the prince of this world now stands condemned. Christ is on the verge of wresting back the world from the prince of the world. The prince of the world, Lucifer, Satan, had stolen it from the previous prince of the world, Adam. And Christ is about to make all of that right. He is about to redeem, about to free, about to reclaim a planet that has been in rebellion. I have much more to say than you can now bear, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, we not only have that big T-truth, which is the person of Jesus and the relationship we have with him, but the advocate or spirit that he sends to us who teaches us all truth. Now, this is not a small T-truth. This is not a, phys- you know, a, a, a philosophical sort of theorem or uh, a physical sciences piece. This is definitely not a political spin piece. This is a truth that supersedes truths. It's a truth that grounds our existence. It's a truth that speaks to all of creation. It's a redemptive truth. And he doesn't speak on his own. He speaks what he hears and he tells you what is yet to come. Now, there are several uh, ways of interpreting that. We don't know what the Spirit hears. We know that the Spirit is God, with God, Jesus. We know that whatever he brings, whether Jesus is referring to the writings that would come after he passed, because John, the book we're reading from, wasn't written at the time this was being spoken. It was written much later. And we read that Scripture was written through the inspiration of what? The Holy Spirit. So whether he is prophesying about what is to come in terms of what's written, in terms of the Spirit's word, or whether he's prophesying about something apocalyptic in the end of time, something having to do with the consummation of this, this whole journey, I don't know. But he'll tell you what is yet to come. He'll glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has been made known to you. There's an ongoing connection there. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. I can't understand it. I just see concentric circles. I just see relationship. I just see something that overlaps. Christ is in human form somehow less than the Father and yet fully God, fully man. Christ is somehow given of the Father all authority on heaven and earth, and yet he doesn't speak on his own. He speaks from the one who sent him. You can just go round and round and round with these kinds of thoughts straight from the Gospels of John and from First, Second, Third John. And what you end up with, all I can say is at the end of it is you end up with relational truth. That God is for us. That the person of Christ has revealed the Father and promised to send an advocate who speaks the very, very words that Christ would have us hear. That there's inspiration, that there's process, that God is not just with the world in the years in which he's ministering to it, but he's with the world after he's ascended through the Spirit for all time. That there's a consummation coming in which the truth is we're reunited with the God who made us. that the eternity we lost and the Eden we lost is restored. 
There's a big T truth here. That he wants us to be in him, with him, the way he is in the Father. He wants us to abide, to make our dwelling there, as we learned last week in John 15. That's the reality we're invited to. That's the truth God wants us to live in. That's where we belong. And so today, as, as you uh, go home, as you read this week, hopefully in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 a bit, as you think about the political situation we're in in this country and the death of truth as we know it, as you think about what it means to be an Adventist Christian and how you're called as such to engage your mind, your reason, to embrace the spirit of this movement and all that God has entrusted to us as a people. As you think about where that takes us and where we head from that, God will lead. Christ is here among us. His spirit has been sent. He continues to raise up new followers, new disciples, new leaders. He continues to move his church forward. He continues to bless. He continues to touch your life and move in your life. It's dynamic. It's alive. It's real. It's never ceasing. It's about your invitation. It's about your reception. It's about your availability. It's about the truth you want to live in. And I pray that if there's a rabbit hole we have to crawl into, the only one we choose to do so will be the rabbit hole of the person of Christ and the relationship that that means with the Father. And by the way, I'm not sure that's a rabbit hole. And by the way, I'm not sure we have to do that in that metaphor. I just mean, let us immerse ourselves in that truth. Because he is the truth, big T. Amen. Lord, this day may you bless us with a relationship with you that anchors us in your truth. Help us to be seekers of truth, whether it's in our personal lives that we might grow, whether it's in our political lives that we might understand, whether it's in our theological lives and philosophical lives that we might find direction. But anchor us always in that relationship with you, for we choose to be your people. Thank you. Amen.